Thank you, Jesus. So scripture teaches us that Jesus is at this very moment enthroned in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. But he is here right now through the ministry and through the presence of his spirit. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've received the grace of God, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, the Holy Spirit lives and resides inside of you. So when we gather together, we have this opportunity to stir up the Holy Spirit within us. So we just say, Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. Forgive us of any ways that we've hindered you or grieved you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we declare that you are our paraclete, this Greek word which means advocate, counselor, comforter, that you would lead us into all truth, that you would show us the ways of Jesus. And that in all things, Jesus would be exalted Jesus would be lifted high, that all of this, everything good that happens in this room is for you and is through you and is to you. Jesus, you be exalted, you be enthroned. We glory in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are so excited this morning is our baptism Sunday. And all right, yeah, come on, we can get a shout out for that. Already in our first service, we got to, had the privilege of baptizing a young man who's about to graduate from high school, go and uh, he's got plans to be a part of the Navy. We'll be, uh, and uh, Adrian, for those of you who know, Adrian Benjamin got to baptize him this morning. And then in this service, we got a number of uh, just incredible, uh, well, everybody in this room is incredible. God loves you. He's, the smile is upon you, whether you feel it or not. And so we're going uh, to start. Uh, who are we starting with? I had this written down. Jesse? Jesse Willman? Come on down. Jesse Willman. And any family members or friends or anybody that's connected with Jesse that wants to be a part of that, you guys just come on right up onto the platform and stand behind us and... So as they're coming, let me just explain, because maybe for some people we don't, you know, what is baptism in different churches? Approach baptism differently, right? And so here's, here's kind of where we get, uh, where we take, here, you need a hand? Oh, it's just going to plop right in. We take our cues from Scripture. And in Scripture, you know, the one, we call ourselves followers of Jesus, right? If you've, if you've come to Jesus, confessed, man, I... I need you. Without you, I am nothing. I have nothing. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered. Jesus, come. You have the power to forgive me of my sins. When we come to Jesus, we, we dedicate ourselves and commit ourselves to following him, to doing the things that Jesus did, right? Well, one of the first things Jesus did before he taught people, before he healed people, performed miracles, is as a, as a young man, he went to the Jordan River where he asked John to baptize him. Now, can I just pause for a second? If there's any person who has ever walked this earth who did not need to be baptized, it was Jesus. He was sinless, perfect, holy in every possible way. He didn't need to be baptized, but he did it as an example, saying, this is, this is the way, this is, this is how to follow me, right? 
Fast forward three years after Jesus' death and resurrection, right before he ascends to the Father, he gathers his disciples. He gives them one last teaching, one last lesson. He says, here's the deal, here's the game plan. Go and make disciples of all nations. And if, if it was me, I probably would have ended it there. That's pretty inspirational. That'll go well on a poster. But he added this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like it's a big deal for Jesus, one of the last instructions that he gives. So Jesse's here, and Jesse's following Jesus. You're doing what Jesus did, and you're doing what Jesus told us to do, right? And so Jesse, if you ask Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to be the master and leader of your life, Jesse, are you perfect? <laughs> and just, I, I, I know this is going to be really horrible for you guys to realize this. After he gets baptized, he still won't be perfect. Some of you are like, oh, man. I was hoping for that. This isn't what saves Jesse. And he's not gonna, he's not gonna be perfect after this. This is a mile marker in his journey of following Jesus where he's obeying Jesus and Jesus smiles upon our obedience. And he's putting a stake in the ground and saying, I want the world to know what God has already done inside of me. He's forgiven you and he loves you and he's for you and he's with you. And he's empowering you through his spirit. So Jesse, upon your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. good-looking people behind Jesse as well. I just didn't acknowledge that. I'm sorry. I gotta be so careful. People walk out of here offended. Well, you didn't think we were good-looking, so not going to that church anymore. Jamie, you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to be the master and leader of your life. I know we had a conversation a couple months ago, and, and Jamie just sharing his story and how faithful God has been to him. You know, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our helplessness, that doesn't diminish God's power and his grace and his love and his faithfulness for us. And I know, Jamie, you're committed to following him wholeheartedly. And this is part of that journey, right? And I just want you to know that as we baptize you, that, that your heavenly father is smiling over you in this moment. Upon your confession of faith in Jesus, as a forgiver of your sins and the master and leader of your life, and I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Love it. To God be the glory, amen. Charisma. We save the prettiest for last. and be the master and leader of your life. This was your choice to do this, right? Yeah, I re- you were, your mama was telling me you were like, you've been begging her. So, upon your confession of faith in Jesus as a forgiver of your sins and the master and leader of your life, y'all ready? We now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. someone around you this morning that you don't know and would you introduce yourself to them? journey. I want to welcome you. I want to give a great big welcome to everyone watching online. We are so glad that you're here with us, whether in person or online. Hey, a couple things we want to let you know about. First of all, in the pocket of the chair in front of you is a connection card. We're going to ask you to grab one of those connection cards if you're in the house. And uh, we ask everybody to do that this morning, whether this is your first time or your 171st time. If you grab one of those connection cards, I'm just going to keep rambling until I see you reaching and grabbing one of those cards. So even if you're faking it, even if you're not, there you go. All right, some of you are like, okay, here we go. I want to get to lunch today. Uh, If you grab one of those cards, if you've filled one of these out before, just give us your first and last name. If you've never filled out a card or it's been a long time, if you give us your information, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, we appreciate you doing that. If you give us your address, there's something we want to send you this week. And then as you leave, we've got some great-looking volunteers that will be at the back doors with white buckets receiving your connection cards as you leave this morning. Uh, Thank you for helping us out with that. Giving, we have uh, secure giving boxes, uh, two different boxes out in the lobby if you came ready to to give the Lord's tithes and your offerings. Many of you take advantage of giving online, which is a great, safe way to to be able to give. You can go to explorejourney.org and follow the prompts there. And uh, hey, when, when we are all obedient and giving to the Lord uh, what is His, we are able to do incredible things for the kingdom of God together. 
and we're, we get to participate in that together. A couple of things we want to let you know about before we get into God's Word is, uh, first of all, we want to make an announcement regarding our kids' ministry. We have the best kids' ministry. We have the best kids' ministry volunteers. We have the best parents. We have the best kids. And uh, back several months ago now, man, it's almost been half a year ago that we announced that Pastor Megan was transitioning to the Ohio Ministry Network in Columbus. And so at that point, we announced that our interim kids' director would be Julia Robinson, and I'm excited this morning to let you know that Julia is no longer going to be our interim kids director. She is our kids director. And uh, so excited that she said yes to that. Absolutely. Is she, oh, you're, you're standing. I was looking for you sitting, and you're standing. Can you just wave at everybody? She's back at the sound area. Thank you, Julia, for all you do. Appreciate you. Let me, let me just say this, because sometimes, you know, you guys just see like a little glimpse. Julia is the hardest working person when it comes to kids ministry. She loves our kids. She loves our parents and our workers and, and just does, does so much, even, even before she was in this role, does so much. And, and I just want you to know that she does this very part-time. She, uh, she doesn't have office hours at the church during the week, but if you need her for any reason, you can call our church number, and she has an extension. You can leave a message. She does a really good job of getting back with people um, as quickly as, as her schedule allows. She's a full-time mama. She uh, is a, a homeschooler. Think about that. I mean, just that. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, right? And uh, does so much. And so uh, just thank you for, for understanding that she might not be able to get back with you as quickly as, as one of our other pastors. So we so appreciate Julia and all that she does for our church. Uh, and then I want to let you know that Friday, uh, May 20th, we're having a worship and prayer night here at the church in this room at 7 p.m. And if you haven't been a part of one of these before, it's just a great time to just, just soak in God's presence as we just sing these songs of declaration of who he is and what he's done. And then interspersed throughout there, like every 15 minutes or so, we, and, and there's, really we just are led by the Spirit in this. We'll take a moment just to say, hey, let's take two or three minutes to pray about like a certain topic or a certain issue that's going on. So we'd love to have you join us on May 20th for that. Well, we are in a series called Unstuck. Any of you ever been stuck? I relate to this stinking turtle. I just go, oh, that's how I feel at times. It's like, I need somebody to flip me over, right? Some of us, we just get stuck in stuff. Last week, we talked about getting stuck in fear. This, this week, I want to talk to you about getting stuck in the gap. And when I talk about the gap, what I'm talking about is a gap between our expectations and our reality. You know, sometimes that can be a really frustrating place. It can be a really disappointing place, the, the place between our expectations and our reality. Eight months ago, some of our students in this room began a brand new year of school. And eight months ago, some of you were like, man, this is the year of Sue. You know, this is the year of Brick or whoever it would be. Like, this is my year. This is the year I'm finally going to get good grades. I'm going to make good friends. Like, I'm going to get on the team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ace everything. I'm going to whatever your goals were. And maybe eight months later, here you are, beginning the month of May with just a few weeks left of school. And you go, man, there's a gap between my expectations and reality. And again, it can be a place of disappointment. Maybe for some of you, you know, you looked forward to getting married. You counted down the days. You're marrying your soulmate. This is what I've lived for. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And a few years into marriage, seven years, 13 years, 20 years into marriage, you go, man, there's a gap. Now, this is a point where you elbow your spouse and say, not, not us. Not us. We're good. Got really quiet. You guys are making me nervous. Like, sometimes there's a gap between the expectations and reality, and you go, ah, oh, this... 
This is a place of frustration. This is a place of disappointment. For some of you, you look forward to retirement. I mean, you counted down the years, and then you counted down the months, and counted down the days, and had dreams of re what retirement was going to look like, and travel, and all these things you were going to get to do, and, and you get into retirement, and now, because of a physical disability, or maybe your kids move back into the house, and the grandkids move back in the house, or whatever the reasons would be, like your expectations and reality, there's a really frustrating gap between the two. What do we do when we get stuck in the gap? In that place of frustration, that place of disappointment, what do we do? Well, I love the fact that the Bible speaks to this issue, like so many. Like all the great issues of life, we can go to the Word of God, and the Bible has something to say about this. And in particular, we can look at the example of a guy named David. Now, David is a, a man, so much historical accounts that we have about David, a man who lived 3,000 years ago, way before Jesus, 1,000 years before Jesus. David was a man just like you and I. He was a man who had God's favor rest upon him. And David, David, not only do we have all kinds of historical accounts about him, we can know all about his victories, we know about some of his defeats, we know the good and the bad, but David is also interesting because he's one of the very few people that we also have these accounts from his own personal journals. So we get to get kind of behind the scenes and look at what he was thinking and what was he feeling and what was going on emotionally behind the actual historical events that were going on. It's really incredible to dig down into. And when we look at David, we see a guy who experienced the gap, experienced the gap between expectations and reality. See, as a young teenager, David had been anointed by Samuel, one of Israel's greatest prophets, to be the next king of Israel. This is in 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 17, David defeated a national enemy and was celebrated on the streets of Israel. In 1 Samuel 18, he quickly became best friends with the king's son. He was given command over a thousand men. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 14, it says, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. That's pretty incredible, right? I mean, life is going incredibly well for David right now. It says, all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. He's got some high expectations, right? This guy is going some places. Like when he looks in the mirror, he goes, looking pretty good today, David. <laughs> well, in his early 20s, David had already accomplished so much success. He knew that eventually he's going to become king over Israel. But then the gap came out of nowhere. And this sometimes happens with the gap. Sometimes you don't see it coming. It's just kind of like a suddenly type of event. And for David, the event is that he is, um, that he is at, a, uh, uh, at a dinner party, and he's dressed in the nines, and he, he's looking good. He's got the body spray going. He's a, I mean, he's, he's in his older teenage years. I mean, there's girls at this dinner party, he's like, and things are going well for him. Did I tell you that I'm commanding an army of, of a thousand people now? And, and he's, he's just good. And, 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 I mean, he's best friends with the king's son. Jonathan is there at this thing, too. And, I mean, everything's going well until the king whom he had respected, whom he had honored, this king who had been used by God, this king who, who, who he looked up to and, and who incidentally was also the father of his best friend, Jonathan, like this king pulls a spear off the wall and with all of his might tries to throw it at David to kill him. And immediately the gap appears out of nowhere. 
life may not actually go the way that I thought it would go. And he books it out of this dinner party, running for his life, all alone, running, 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 as fast as he can, as hard as he can. He catches wind several days later that King Saul is actively pursuing him with all the armies of Israel. And can you imagine in that moment now the gap? How he thought life was going to go versus how life was actually going. So David finds himself in a cave after a long series of events, which we talked about some of those events last week. He finds himself in the cave of Agilom. And in the cave of Agilom, he wrote Psalm 34, which we looked at last week. Many believe that he also wrote the psalm that we're going to look at today in that same cave. We know for sure from the heading of Psalm 57, the psalm that we're going to look at today, that he wrote it in some cave. So it was either the cave of Agilom or it was another cave where he hid from King Saul as well. But here he is in the cave of, Kaj- or the cave of Agilom, and he writes Psalm 57. I, w- I, would, I would submit to you this, that if the cave's name was Heinz, we could call this psalm Heinz 57. But now you'll remember what psalm we're reading, won't you? And all the young people in the room go, I didn't even get any of that. That's all right. We love you. We're glad you're here. So instead of me reading Psalm 57 to you, let's watch on the screen as Cohen Pippin reads to us Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God, my heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. What a powerful psalm, right? But here's the thing, if, if you pay attention to the psalm, you'll find that there's a little bit of whiplash going on inside of there. Maybe some of you guys even noticed it as Cohen was reading it. Let, let me kind of read it. I'm not going to skip anything. I'm not going to skip any words or any lines, okay? I'm, ju- I'm just going to read it, the, uh, starting in verse 3, the end of verse 3, the way that David's saying it. And I want you to see, I'll, I'll try kind of dramatize it a little bit, but I want you to see if you can notice the emotional whiplash that David is feeling. 
He goes, my God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. You see, the, you see the whiplash that's going on? The reason why you see this going on is because this is how David was feeling. And when you are in the gap of frustration and disappointment, it is normal to feel this way. As a follower of Jesus, you're trying to find refuge in God, even in the cave that you find yourself in, and yet at the same time, as you're trying to find refuge in God, you can't ignore the fact of what is going on around you. And this is a struggle, and this is why the gap becomes so frustrating and so disappointing. So how do we get unstuck? We're gonna take a little bit of time to get to maybe some of the practical issues, but I think in order to get there, we have to pay attention to several different issues. If you today are stuck in this gap, I think you first of all have to be able to name what was the triggering event that has caused you to get into this gap. Now this isn't as easy as it sounds. Sometimes we have to really dig and, and really get underneath the issue of what is really going on that is making me feel this way. For David, it's pretty clear. The triggering event is as soon as King Saul grabbed that spear off the wall and threw it at him, that was a triggering event. As soon as he caught wind that the armies of Israel are now pursuing him, I think that qualifies as a triggering event. For you, you gotta name that. What, what happened? Like what happened? Some of you in this room, you know that you've been out of sorts for a long time. Like what happened? Can you name what happened? The second thing is our thoughts often lead to, or our, our triggering event, this event that has happened, lead to our thoughts. In fact, you can't get away from thoughts. Thoughts are a reality. The question is, are your thoughts healthy or are your thoughts unhealthy? Are your thoughts truthful or are they false? And see, our thoughts, here, here's the thing, uh, you, you see in this culture right now, people will say, well, I just, I'm just telling you my truth. I, I don't like that phrase. I think you should say, I'm telling you my experiences, or I'm telling you how, my perspective, but sometimes when I'm telling you my truth, it's not truth at all. And we've got to pay attention to what, what am I thinking here? And is my thinking healthy or is it unhealthy? I can tell you from personal experience that after a triggering event, I'm guilty a lot of times of thinking some things that are not true. I think about for David as he's alone in this cave and his mind is drifting, his thoughts are probably, if, if I'm David, I'm probably thinking back to an event that had happened maybe even a decade earlier. You see, David up to this point had just been, I mean, his whole role in the family as the youngest was to tend the sheep out in the pasture, and he had been doing his job. He's out hanging out with the sheep. When he gets a message, you need to get to the house immediately. Something crazy is going down. You got to get to the house. As he's booking it to the house, maybe he's wondering if one of his parents died. Maybe he's wondering, like, what is the big deal? Why do I got to get here so fast? Why is it so important that I leave my, my sheep behind for this? And he gets to the house, and he gets in the living room, and all of his brothers are there, and his dad is there, and right there in the living room is Samuel. 
And if you don't know who Samuel is, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. And, and for the younger generation, I don't really have a good example, but for the older people in the room, this would be like if Billy Graham was standing in your living room. I mean, this is like the man of God, like for the entire nation, the guy who would pray at inaugurations and the guy who would lead revivals. And, and Samuel, the man of God, the spiritual leader over all of Israel, is standing in his living room. His brothers are there. His father is there. And Samuel, as David walks in the room, Samuel kind of looks over at his father, Jesse, and kind of gives a nod and he goes, he's the one. And David is like, the one what? What is this all about? And Samuel says, young man, I want you to kneel. And Samuel's like, okay, this is really getting weirder by the second. He kneels, and Samuel pulls out a horn of olive oil and begins to pour olive oil all over David's head. Now, David was a nobody. Nobody knew who David was. David hadn't done anything great. David was just an average shepherd boy, and now the man of God over all of Israel is pouring oil over his head. And as he's pouring the oil over his head, and the oil is dripping down to his shoulders and beginning to saturate like his entire body, like Samuel begins to speak prophetic words, words from God over David, words of destiny, words of anointing. He says in the midst of this that David is gonna be the next king of Israel. David's like, I'm a kid. What are you saying? Like, what is this all about? But I got to imagine that David walked out of that room at least a foot taller. You know, when something like that goes down, like you go, I don't know, maybe he was, maybe he was humming a song like this. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. I don't know. Again, I'm not doing very good uh, illustrations for the younger crowd. Right? Like, I mean, there's just a bounce in the step. And then, like we mentioned earlier, he defeats Goliath, and he's commanding a thousand people, and I mean, life is just going so splendidly well. And I got to imagine, David was human just like we are. So now if he is in this dark, damp cave, what is he thinking? Now, I'm not saying that he's thinking this, but I'm saying if I was him, I'd probably be thinking thoughts like this. Did Samuel lie to me? Did he make all that up? I can't believe I was so stupid to believe him. I can't believe I fell for that. King Saul is way too powerful. He has all the armies of Israel at his disposal. I'll never be safe from him. There's no way I can survive this. I can't believe that I actually thought that God was with me. God obviously doesn't care about me. God doesn't even love me. Now to be clear, these are not necessarily the thoughts that David was thinking, but I think all of us could say, man, if I was him, I could see myself thinking these thoughts. Play along with me. If David was thinking these thoughts, and if he only focused on these thoughts, how would this play out in his emotions? See, our emotions are largely impacted by the thoughts that we think. Now, I, to be fair, sometimes our emotions are affected by things outside of our control, chemicals, hormones. Sometimes there's other issues, and so I don't want to try to say that your emotions and all of your feelings are 100% tied to your thoughts. But can I just say this? Probably more than we realize, our emotions are tied to the thoughts that we think. And so a triggering event happens. That leads to the thoughts that we think, which now leads to the emotions that we're feeling. And you can see a little bit of the emotional disposition of David, even in the Psalms that I read a few minutes ago, the, the verses I read, verse six, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who breathe out fire and greedily devour human prey. Can I just stop for a second? Lions don't breathe out fire. 
But this is how David feels, right? Have you ever been there where you're feeling things that they're not real? They're not even tied to reality even remotely, but it's how you feel in the moment. These men have teeth that pierce like spears and arrows and tongues that cut like swords. Verse 6, my enemies have booby-trapped my path, spreading a net for my feet. Listen, I am weary from, distru- weary from distress. Frantic fear has overwhelmed me. Frantic fear has overwhelmed me. Again, this, this is his emotions. This is what he's feeling. Now, David has more to say than just this, but if we focus only on the emotions from these two verses, what is he feeling? I was chewing on this this week, and the words that I wrote down is he's feeling insecurity and he's feeling anxiety. He's feeling threatened, inadequate, overwhelmed, and vulnerable. And so, so if you follow this cycle around, you have this triggering event, and it leads to the thoughts that we think, and then it leads to our emotions and our feelings, and finally it leads to, and sometimes this happens very quickly, okay? This isn't necessarily minutes or even hours or days for each of these to process, but it leads to reaction. It leads to behavior. It leads to how I physically respond to the situation. How am I physically responding to all this? The question is, am I reacting in a way that is constructive or am I reacting in a way that's destructive? If David became consumed with only these negative thoughts and if he was consumed with unhealthy emotions and let those emotions play out, how would this affect his behavior? I submit to you that he probably would have given up. He could have possibly found a way of numbing or medicating himself and try to escape the thoughts and the feelings and, and, and what it felt like reality to him At worst, he could have done like some of his contemporaries and fallen on a sword and and ended it all. Fortunately, David chose to think differently and to embrace other emotions. He strengthened himself in the Lord in his thoughts and in his emotions. He ended up reacting and behaving in ways that have helped hundreds of millions of people throughout the last 3,000 meals, including myself, His words have deeply impacted and transformed me, and he had no clue that it would resonate to this place. Look at some of David's positive thoughts and attitudes from Psalm 57. I'm I'm just going to start with verse 1, the second part of verse 1. David says, I run to God and look to him for shelter and protection. Here he is in a cave, and he's saying, really to nobody else other than to God. It's just him and God at this point. Listen, I... I I see God as my protector. He is my shelter. The end of verse 1, he says, In the shadow of God's wings, I am confidently secure. He says uh, at the end of verse 2, God accomplishes all things on my behalf and will fulfill his purposes for me. He holds me together. See how he's thinking? I mean, this doesn't go with the reality of his situation whatsoever, but he's choosing to think different. He's choosing to embrace thoughts. Now, now to be fair, in Psalm 57, you see some conflicting thoughts as well, because he's human. But he is making his best effort to find refuge in God. Look at uh, uh, the end of verse 3. God will send help from heaven to rescue and save me. He will humiliate my enemies, trampling down those who kick me around. We usually hear that, that a response to a triggering event, especially a negative triggering event, we usually hear the response is fight 
or flight. Have you ever heard that before? Probably in high school, you probably heard that. Or some kind of class, you heard someone talk about fight or flight. In other words, he's going to get on the boxing gloves, and he's going he's to fight this thing out, and he's going to do something about it. Or the opposite is flight, where we just take off, right? David does something interesting. Instead of a horizontal flight away from the situation, he chooses in this moment a vertical flight to God. Where he, 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 he goes straight to God and he says, God, in this moment, I can't control this situation. I can't do anything about this crazy, whacked out king. But I'm going to choose to go to you. And when we vertically take a flight to God, we begin to soar, not on our own wings, but soar on the wings of God. We begin to find comfort and relief and help in those moments. I wish I could tell you that the situation automatically changed for David. I wish I could tell you that the sun broke through the clouds and in the cave of Agilim that, that David started hearing the, the echoes and the voices of angels and that as he looked out as the sun was piercing through the clouds that, that the king of Israel was right there at the mouth of the cave saying, I've been such a jerk. I can't believe I did this. I'm a horrible human being. I don't deserve to be king. Here and now I bow down and I take off my, my crown and I give it to you, David. David, would you now be the king of Israel? I wish that that was a story. If you know the Bible, you know that this is just the beginning of difficulties for David. That he would actually find himself in other caves, believe it or not, hiding from the same king. But David chose to think about God's power and mercy and love, and this led to an underlying confidence in his life. In fact, in order to experience his calling as a leader, David had to go through these situations. He learned to king it in the cave. He would not have been the same person that, that is an example to us, someone that we go to and, and find such solace and such help in the scriptures if he hadn't gone through these situations. And some of you in the gap that you're experiencing right now, and, and for some it's a really wide gap between your expectations and reality, and, and maybe in that place you're tempted to be angry at God, and you're tempted to be angry at others and blame and, and, and blame yourself and hate yourself in this situation. Can I just encourage you that maybe God is allowing you to go through these situations because he has a calling and he has a destiny for your life, and you need to go through this in order to experience what he has for you. We see this throughout the Bible. We see this in Moses' life. Forty years he's a shepherd in the wilderness all by himself until God calls him back to Egypt where he would deliver the people of Israel. We see it in David's life, years of hiding in the wilderness. In a sense, we see this in Jesus' life. Can you imagine Jesus growing up knowing the calling that God had on his life? And yet he didn't begin his public ministry until he was how old? 30 years old. Like, I'm thinking as a, as a confident, swaggering man in his early 20s, Jesus would be like, I think I'm ready. <laughs> Even as a 30-year-old, he had to go to the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by Satan. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say, that in the wilderness, it could be a place where God is developing inside of you what you are going to need for what he has in front of you. So what about you? How are you responding to the gap that you're experiencing? When we're stuck in the gap, we normally do one of two things. We, I mean, think about it. So if you have expectations and you have reality, and they're just kind of stuck in these certain points, you know, you have these fixed points of expectation reality. For us, just from a, 
just from a common sense perspective, if we're going to change the situation, we got to either lower the expectations or we got to raise our reality, right? Now think about it. For David, he couldn't lower his expectations because his expectations were really right in alignment with what God had for his life. For him to say, well, you know, I guess this was all a ruse. I guess, you know, this was all make-believe. It's not true. I'll never be king. Like, to lower his expectations, in a sense, would be faithlessness. He couldn't do anything about changing the reality because the reality was completely external. He wasn't responsible for the reality. He wasn't responsible for the antics of the king. And so what he had to do was live in this tension. Tension can be a difficult place, can't it? But there's something beautiful about tension. I have in this envelope up here, I have in this envelope a guitar string. This looks like a real, a, a fish string, but it would be a really expensive piece of fish string. This guitar string, I mean, I can, I can, I can try to pluck on it. I can wave it in the air. You know, I, I, can, I can do all these things with this guitar string, but it really is worthless until I do something with it. Until I string it on a guitar. And I, and I string one end into this part over here, and I string the other end over here, and now in the tension, I can play music. Here, here's the thing. Sometimes we look, at this we look at this and we go, I can't stand the tension. And I just want to say, what if in this place of tension, God is wanting to create something beautiful? He's wanting to create music. David would literally, literally create music in the place of tension between his expectations and his reality. I'm not about to say that this is easy. Hi, my name is Ken, and I struggle with this every day. It's a continued place of saying, God, I take refuge in you. My enemies are like lions who breathe fire. God, I take refuge in you. They have teeth that pierce. God, I take refuge in you. I feel like I'm drowning. God, I take refuge in you. I'm exhausted. God, I take refuge in you. Where are you? Have you abandoned me? God, I take refuge in you. We just keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep saying, God, no, I want, to be, I want my thoughts to be renewed. And so we go back to the word of God, and, and instead of looking at what's going on around us, we turn off the stuff that's going around us, and we go, God, I want to see what you have to say. I want your truth to guide me. I want to have your thoughts. God, I want to feel the way that you want me to feel. I want to have the emotions that you want me to have in this moment. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you look at the halfway point in Psalm 57, and you look at the last verse of Psalm 57, literally the last thing that he says in this psalm is something that he says halfway through. Same exact words, exact same words in the Hebrew and the same exact words in most of our translations. Look at what he says. He says this is verse 5 and this is, this is verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Now, again, his situation. He's in a cave. Not, not a nice cave. Not the caves on HGTV where they turn them into beautiful homes. He's in a real cave. He's got a real king chasing him down to kill him, to destroy him. And here he is in this cave, and he says... God, I know what's going on around me, but you, O oh God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He's finding refuge in God. 
He's in the midst of the tension, deciding I can either create music or I can create destruction. I'm gonna choose to create something beautiful in this place that I don't understand. So we talked about this cycle, and Riley, if you don't mind putting up this cycle one last time, this image. We talked about this triggering event and how, you know, we experience this in our minds. We don't even have to think about it or the thinking just comes. The thoughts come automatically, right? And so as followers of Jesus, we got to regulate our thoughts. We got to add some new thoughts, some biblical thoughts, some biblical perspective, right? Our thoughts affect our feelings. Our feelings are directly related to our thoughts. Again, sometimes there's some caveats. Sometimes there's some medical things we need to take care of. But our emotions are a result of our thoughts. And we react. We behave out of that. But look, it, the circle continues. Did you notice that? My reactions can be triggering events for others. In the words of a wise counselor, hurt people hurt people. The hurt that you experienced, that you didn't deserve to experience, the abuse that you experienced, that you should not have experienced, it was not right, many times happened from somebody who themselves were reacting out of a triggering event that they experienced. Now here's the good news. If we react in a healthy way, in a biblical way, in a godly way, we can actually create a positive triggering event for others. This is so powerful. Parents in this room, grandparents, aunts, uncles in this room, can I just submit to you that if you will react the way that God wants you to react to a situation that you shouldn't have gone through in the first place, if you will choose to think the way that he wants you to think, to even have the feelings that he wants you to have, if you will react in a healthy way as opposed to an unhealthy way, there could be positive ripples. I would submit to you what we see in Psalm 57 is exactly that. That David's reaction to what he is going through, his ability to create music in the midst of the tension, his saying, hey, fight, flight, I'm going to fly vertically to God. I'm going to go directly to his throne room. That it has created ripples that are still affecting every one of us. Now here's the cool thing. We don't just go to a nameless God. We have the advantage because of what happened 2,000 years ago that we go to Jesus who has identified in all of these things with us. He's gone through everything that you can imagine and he can relate to you. And when you go to him with your hurts, with people who have betrayed you, people who have said false things about you, people who have the expectations of reality not lining up, hello, Jesus at the cross, right? You can go to him. And in your helplessness and your powerlessness, you can say, Jesus, only you have the power in this moment. I throw myself at your feet. Would you do in me right now what I'm unable to do for myself? And he will. And he will. And begin to think the way that he wants you to think. And feel the way that he wants you to feel. And act the way that he wants you to act. And there could be positive ripples. Listen, I know this isn't simple. This is really hard to live out. But let's ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that, amen? Would you stand to your feet? Before I pray, I forgot to let our guys in, uh, in Charisma be, who are being baptized, at the end of the service, we'd love to have you sign the baptistry, so make sure you don't take off. We'd love to 
Love to have you do that. Also, we're going to have prayer partners available at both sides. And if you need prayer, you walked in here with something. Maybe this morning you experienced a gap. It came out of nowhere. Life was going great, but you experienced a gap. We would love to pray with you and for you through that. So we have prayer partners. In fact, our prayer partners, if you guys want to come even now, love for you to do that. Can I pray over you before we dismiss you? So, Father, I understand that in this room, with the number of people in this room, there are some people who are experiencing this. This isn't hypothetical. They are right in the middle of the gap of frustration and disappointment where expectations have not lined up with their reality. And God, I know that it's, it's human nature for us to think the worst and it's human nature for us to go into unhealthy emotions, but God, we understand that we belong to the creator of the universe. And we understand as followers of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is in us. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, would you empower your children? Would you empower me? Would you empower us to think different? To regulate our emotions, to pay attention to our emotions. Ultimately, to react in a way that would be startling to the world around us. And then in the process, that we would affect in a positive way the people around us the events that they go through. Use us for your kingdom, that your kingdom would be expanded through us for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, a couple things we want to let you know about. First of all, grow class is this Thursday if you want to grow in Jesus, Thursday at 6.30. Secondly, we have prayer partners that are up here. And then third, we're continuing the series next week. We're going to talk about how to get unstuck from shame. How do you get unstuck from shame? We'll see you guys next week. God bless you.